0: Amen. Amen. So here, Lord willing, is how um, we're going to do things this morning. Lord willing, is I wanted to take a little bit of time just to hear and get um, some updates about Book Club. And, uh, man, Julie and I love that book. And I've picked a number of books, but they're not all created equal. And this one, I think, was on one of the top of my list of of favorite books that we've done for book club. And so um, I had asked uh, Miranda, Sarah, and Will if they could just share for us uh, maybe one truth and one encouragement that they received um, from the J. Adams book, A Thirst for Wholeness, which is really like a biblical counseling commentary on the book of James. And if you haven't read it, I would just encourage you to do it. It's just been incredibly sweet for us and so we're going to do that we're going to break up and have a little time to pray together and then lord willing i'll bring home the home stretch on a devotional on uh loneliness and worship so with that will i'm going to let you get started i'll get get you to lead
1: Uh, thank you um so um i had the privilege of um you know being a co-facilitator for boat club this season and um all I can say is I'm just really, really thankful. I think it's been a um it's been a a book club that has been really encouraging to me personally and um and I'm just really thankful for just going through um the book of James and um Um and so maybe to share like one truth from James. Um, um there were two chapters I think in the J Adams book that um really resonated with me. One of them was called um, You Can Face Trials with Joy. And the other one is you can learn patience, and um, the verses to, um, to to go with that is in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then James chapter 5, verses 7 to 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Uh, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Uh, You also be patient. Uh, Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Um, And, you know, I think something that, like, um, was, yeah, just really true is, like, you know, 24-7, like, our flesh is constantly campaigning in our hearts, you know, against the Spirit. It's campaigning to try to captivate our hearts Um, and that's like something that's happening all the time, you know, and, um, and, you know, something that I know for myself is, um, the tendency for me, you know, when I face trials or when there's some type of suffering in my life is to respond, um, like the world, which is, you know, you either try to run away from it. Um, you try to kind of fix the problem or, you know, you, um yeah basically try to in any way just shorten the trials like you shortcut things you short circuit your suffering because what's probably at the top of your mind is you just want to get out of it um and I think um what was really convicting was again going back into like James chapter one the canonical joy when you meet trials of various kinds and so that's already kind of showing that, like, the goal of trials isn't how fast you can get out of it, but it's going through it, um, with joy and with trusting the Lord because he is doing his good work in, in in my life. Um, and also, like, being patient with that, too, um, because I think for, maybe for a lot of us when we're suffering, the first question that comes up is, you know, how long, like, how long do I have to put up with this? How long is this going to be in my life? And that could be anything, you know, that could be, you know, that, um, that heart situation at work. It could be your coworkers. It could be in the home. It could be with your spouse. It could be, um, you know, with, um, you know, like physical, like, you know, ailments. Um,
0: it's the list. Whatever's
1: difficult. Yeah. It's whatever's is difficult.
0: And how can we move on? I've got things to do. Here's this thing. How can I get through this as fast as possible, God, so that I can get to what I need to do
1: yeah, and um and that's really what I've seen how like the Lord really like puts these thorns like in our flesh, they like He just sovereignly allows these things to happen because it's a big wake up call um to really see you know has our hope and has our um delight been in the Lord, right, or has it been in our circumstances, has it been in ourselves? um and 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 so that's um that's something that was very true for me um to face trials with joy to endure with joy um and to do so um relying on the lord and his mercies and grace every day and and not my own strength um not my own um abilities and um and it, it, the one encouragement um uh, from book club is you know i'm just i'm just very thankful um that the lord allowed me to participate in book club um, I think many of you know, uh, last year I had a series of different physical ailments and, um, one of them was kind of like more neurological in nature where, you know, my mind would just suddenly short circuit and do so kind of without any triggers and it'd be kind of frightening. Um, and, and so book club was kind of the, this the season of book club was like the first time where I facilitated anything since kind of coming down with, um, with these things. And, Um, and yeah, and, and, and just, you know, it was a big reminder for me that it's like, well, you know, these truths that you're reading for a book club, like you need to live it out now, which is like, you know, trusting the Lord, right. It's doing these things out of his own strength or doing these things out of the Lord's strength. And, um, yeah. And, and whatever the Lord provides is sufficient. You know, it's not based on, you know, how I did in the past, which is out of my own wisdom, out of my own abilities, but. Now we're relying on the Lord. Um we're doing it his way. Um and it's more than sufficient and it's more than um yeah, it's more than sufficient for um the needs of the book club but also for um for shepherding our souls. Um and yeah, and I was just really amazed how um like I remember I was a co-facilitator, so so Tim is my co-facilitator initially. I was like okay, like Tim's going to facilitate, so you know, that's that's going to be great. But then Um, turns out, um,
0: I feel the same way with Ted (laughs) Ted
1: Um, and Kevin. (laughs) Yeah. it, It turns out, uh, he wasn't able to facilitate for most of, um, our, um, booklet meetings. So, um, so yeah, so it was, um, basically, um, a good opportunity for me to go to the Lord and just be like, yeah, I, I can't do it out of my own, you know, wisdom out of my own strength. And this is where I need the Lord's help. And um and i was just amazed to see how the lord worked you know not just in just be, being able to be present and participate but you know even uh there's one week where um another book club um like um uh, it was led by david and leanna for different reasons um uh david couldn't facilitate and um and so that one week i was facilitating for two different groups and um and i just look at that and like as like you know that's that's the lord working And in my life it's um Definitely not something that I'm able to do on my own. Um, and, and, and so, um, yeah, that's the one encouragement that I have. And um, and yeah, I think this was a big blessing for me in the season. So, um, yeah, I'm just really thankful for that.
0: Thanks, Will.
2: I think for me, from the book, Uh, Thirst for Wholeness, the chapter that uh, really stood out to me is the one on you can learn patience. And the scripture that J. Adam used comes from James 5, 7 to 11, about patience in suffering. That We all read it earlier. I think from these verses really show that God um, cause us to patient to wait for him to work in a difficult situation that uh, causes us suffering and there is hope as the scripture lists out that a farmer wait patiently for the harvest a prophet prophesied with firm heart and also the steadfastness of job and that God enable others to endure he is perfectly able to do the same for us I think for me, in the context of waiting, it is easy to just merely wait for the circumstances itself to be removed or the person to be changed and prone to say, I just can't take it when I don't see any changes in them. And in from the book, as well as James, I'm being reminded that instead of focusing on the circumstance. Itself, we can endure testing and trial if we remember God's nature that he is compassionate and merciful that he is aware of our long waiting and in compassionate care will provide for us and I found it really encouraging that his word uh, provides the comfort and hope for our soul and also um, the wisdom to live, to live daily life in victory over sin
0: thanks Sarah Miss Miranda?
3: I, yeah, so it was a joy to be able to be a part of book club um, the past few The
0: all-women's book oh, club, Oh, yeah, right? we
3: had all-women's Men were not
0: allowed, right? You kicked <laughs> them so. Will couldn't facilitate three. Yeah. He could only do two.
3: Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I, we, uh, Kat and Carrie helped out a lot. Um yeah, so I'll start off by reading James 1, 2 to 4. I think um Will read that earlier. So it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may per- be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Having read these verses many times, I used to think that being a complete Christian means to have attained a certain level of maturity or Respectability, though I was never really sure of what that was. However, um, to be a complete and perfect Christian is a continuing growth that follows Christ's example that God, who began a good work in us, will bring it to completion. It's a progression, a maturing in God's ways in all areas. The complete and steadfast, uh, or the complete Christian is steadfast and endures through trials, resists temptation, is a doer and not merely a hearer of the word. And deliberately chooses God's way over the world's way and does so again and again, when it's easy and when it's hard. In Christ, he, indeed, he has given us all things that we need for life and godliness. It is our own sin that separates us from God. One truth I learned was that being a part of that part of becoming a complete Christian is to have a faithful, loyal devotion to God inside and out. Um, to turn away from the world's way of finding satisfaction and replace that with God's way. It's so easy for us to be caught up in pursuing respectable things by the world's standard and to justify our idols as needs because everyone around us is doing that. Jay Adams writes that worldliness is finding satisfaction in the world that one ought to find in God. James 4.4 says it even more clearly. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, one of my many problems is spiritual adultery with Mr. Cosmos, as J. Adams calls the world. Not just the gross practices and things that even the world deems wrong, but also all of our respectable affections that supersede our love for God. In my life, that can look like finding my ultimate satisfaction in my hard work and the praise— or raise I want from the workplace, or finding satisfaction in my business with respectable things and getting angry when anyone thwarts my productivity and efficiency because the world says I deserve to get my way, or adopting the world's way of dealing with problems and the goal of making everyone accepted and comfortable as my idol. These and much more reveal that my love is my comfort and pride, my works and my reputation. Rather than finding sufficiency and satisfaction in Christ, his work, his priorities, and pleasing him with a wholehearted devotion, Christ calls me to true repentance from spiritual adultery and sin, to change for the purpose of pleasing God, not to change just because I don't like the guilt or discomfort of being found out. Jay Adams challenged me by asking whether I would choose to cling on to any particular sin if I knew I would never be found out by anyone else. However, there is help and encouragement in God's word. But God gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. From James 4, 6 to 8. For every sinful, adulterous heart, there is true hope. The remedy that James draws us to is the gospel, God's holiness, his love and mercy, the perfect death, life, uh, resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, so that Christ's righteousness could be mine by grace through faith in him alone. It is his light, his life, and his work in our darkened hearts that continues to grow and change those who are his.
0: Thanks for sharing, Miranda. Something that just occurred to me as I had the three of you up here. I didn't ask the three of you up here because you've gone through health trials over the last few years, and yet certainly the Lord has brought that for the three of you. You know, and when you look at James, a lot of people who read James they basically come out and say, "Well, James is in conflict with Paul and Romans. James is faith by works, and Romans is." Fi- is is i'm sorry salvation by works and 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 romans is is salvation by faith alone but when you really get into them and you read what Jay adams is saying and you get into the heart of these men the authorial intent you realize that james and romans are complementary they complement one another they're a different perspective but they're looking at the same thing and one of the things that the three of you have highlighted When trials come into our life, they really expose what we're hoping in. And they really kind of expose what we want. And in fact, God's kindness in our lives, Lord, what trials are coming? But God's kindness in our lives, and he does it so gently, is to bring things that rock our world a little bit. Because he loves us as children, and it ties into our justification by faith, what we talked about, is he's showing us sometimes that there are things that we hope in and we desire that will not truly satisfy and they will not stand the test of our trials but instead he's showing us as children of god we have a hope in a savior and a salvation that our completeness is not based on our circumstances What we have or we don't have, so to speak, I mean, that's to some degree what Miranda's talking about, of all the things that we sort of softly feel that we need, and if we don't have them, many times, or when those things are taken away, we feel, I'm not complete, I'm not whole, and where that trickles down to is, I can't serve, I can't be a spiritual leader, I can't do all of these things because I don't have A, B, C, D, and E, or I don't have these circumstances. And I think what's neat from the three of you having seen you from a distance over the last few years is it's been clear that what the Lord has started to teach you is he still has a purpose for you. You can be complete even when some of those things you don't have because our completion and our satisfaction and joy is in Christ, not necessarily first and foremost our health or our ability to perform or do A, B, C, D, and E or the circumstances. Now that's a tough lesson to learn. Usually we learn that when the Lord takes out some of the legs on the stool and we, dis- we, we discover that our salvation still stands and he's still good because he's the one who's holding us. It wasn't those things. So I hope this is a lesson we all get a chance to learn because through it we learn how good the Lord is. Um, I would like to encourage you to take 10 minutes just to break up into small groups and maybe consider and share in those small groups maybe one trial that the Lord has brought your way in this new year and then maybe ask one or two people in um, your group just to bring those before the Lord to ask for the Lord's help that we would learn what he's teaching us through that I want to remind you all typically what we do is we try and do a book club over the Christmas holidays and the summer break And the aim of that is for us to live out what we've been learning when we're together in Lagos, but also during that time, which is busy with other things, just to have your heart filled with the love of Christ. That's our aim for that. So why don't we take a break? First of all, let me say thank you so much, Miranda, Sarah, and Will, for sharing your hearts and lives and what you learned through James. Let's uh, take a break for the next 10 minutes, and then I'll close our time in prayer and sort of transition to a brief devotional on uh, loneliness in the church and in worship. And as he does that, AV team, would it be possible if I could get that first slide on um, loneliness in God's word? Thank you.
4: Psalm 102. Yes, please. The whole thing? Yes, please. I'm reading from NASB. Here my (laughs) NASB fine. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call. The an- in the day when I call, answer me quickly. For my days have been consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass, and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread because of the loudness of my groaning. My bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I've become like an owl of the waste place. I lie awake. I've become like a lonely bird on a housetop. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. For I've eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of your indignation and your wrath. For you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a lengthened shadow and I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, abide forever in your name to all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to be gracious to her. For the appointed time has come. Surely your servant find pleasure in her stones and feel pity for her dust. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord has built up Zion. He has appeared in his glory. He has regarded the prayer of the destitute, and he has not despised their prayer. This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord gazed upon the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to set free those who were doomed to death, that men may tell of the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When the peoples are gathered together in the kingdoms to serve the Lord, he has weakened my strength in the way, he has shorn my days. I say, O my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. All of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be changed. But you're the same, and your years will not come to an end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. Thank you, sir.
0: So I I grew up in sort of fundamentalist evangelical circles. And there was a certain burden that you had to be happy when you went to church, right? You had to sing happy songs, you had to do happy things, and you had to be happy all the time. And if you didn't have this, sometimes what I felt was like this fake smile, you weren't part of the club, right? And there can be this burden a little bit that if people struggle with depression or they struggle with loneliness, they must be sinful or doing something wrong. And in fact, I was even at one quote-unquote legitimate biblical counseling conference where the implication was made pretty clearly that loneliness can come because of sin and because you're not doing what God is commanding you to do. Now, that can be a partial truth, and we're going to address that hopefully briefly, and I wish I could do three seminars on this, so I'm just going to try and give you the overview but what we just heard in Psalm 102, it begins and the title is a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and he pours out his complaint before the Lord. And I want you to remember that the Psalms were written to be sung together in the house of the Lord. And this Psalm, as you probably know, is a lament Psalm. And as you walk through, there are a number of songs that are a lament. Sorrow and mourning, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted and big picture I believe one of the points that the Lord makes is this person really struggles with a lot of things and he talks about being like a lonely bird on a housetop and he gives this beautiful depiction of what loneliness is and what it is like right but he also points us to the remedy as we go through it but he makes it very clear that there's a place for lonely people in the house of God and that the remedy is found with God and also with the people of God. And that loneliness in God's hands becomes an instrument of redemption and an instrument of sanctification and an instrument of his love, not dissimilar to the cross, okay? And so I think we have to come and, and be able to see it from the Lord's perspective that the fact that the Lord has put psalms like this in the Bible means there is a place among God's people in his worship for loneliness and sorrow to be expressed, but to be expressed within the context of a God who loves us and cares for us and calls us to look to him at those times and those moments, as opposed to just looking at ourselves. Okay, so that's foundational, okay? That's foundational. Now, what I'm gonna ask us to do is we're going to go back and have a look at how the world looks at loneliness because this is typically how we think about it and how we use loneliness on a day-to-day basis bear with me one second here What caught my attention and may have caught your attention, too, is that last year, the Surgeon General of the United States came out and made this statement and did this huge report, which was the compilation of any number of different studies, that the United States is undergoing a loneliness epidemic, right? And so they pointed out, and what was interesting is it actually was a problem before COVID happened, though COVID was probably one of the triggers to do this report and address it, and one of the other things that has come and what they're trying to deal with is how many people are dying in America from opiate abuse, right? So they're looking at all of these things, and the government doesn't do it without an eye on what is this going to cost, and how is it affecting our nation? But what was interesting is they went and looked back pre-COVID And they found in studies done that, on average, one in two Americans, that's 50%, would actually say they're struggling with loneliness, 50% of the population. Then they did all their morbidity and mortality studies on it, and they actually showed these uh, folks who studied with loneliness— actually you know had the same morbidity and mortality risks as many major diseases including smoking 15 cigarettes a day you know and then i think probably what really got people's attention in a big way was where some of the biggest rise seemed to be happening or the largest numbers tended to be tended to be in the demographic of young people we get old people are lonely we get widows are lonely Okay. But now they're seeing huge costs associated with this, a huge problem in America, 50% of the people, only around 39% was one study I looked at where people actually said that they felt that they were reasonably connected. Okay. So, The Surgeon General is saying, okay, this is a big problem. What do we do with this? Now, what's interesting is we consider how the world looks at things. The world does an outstanding job at identifying symptoms, okay, and external patterns. Where it really breaks down is what's the root cause and what's the remedy, right? So as we walk through how the world describes loneliness, and this is how we tend to think about it, it's defined as the distressing feeling of being alone or separated. The one, one of them I really liked was social pain. This is what loneliness is, social pain. Distress in response to perceived isolation. And in respect to a perceived gap between expectations and experience. Okay, and that's helpful because you interact with kids who are adopted and they're adopted into Christian families, and the parents love them and the parents provide them with every resource and everything that they possibly can. They bring them to church, a social network, everything that you could possibly hope for to be connected. And yet, fairly frequently, these children who are adopted still struggle with loneliness, right? And the parents are besides themselves because they said, I've done everything a parent. I, in fact, I do more than biological parents do, and my kids are still. And so it's helpful to see, it's well, what is the expectation, and what's the experience? And we see that in church circles, too, where people come into church circles, they're loved, they're cared for, whatever And then people spend incredible amounts of time. They listen to their problems. They go over to the homes and bring food, this, that, and the other thing. And at the end, people leave and they say, well, I just didn't feel loved. And so we are definitely looking at that feeling of loneliness and an expectation of how I should be connected. Or am I not connected? Or do I feel different? And I am not part of this. Okay, so those are very real parts of this. And you know, one of the definitions that finally they come to as they pull it together is loneliness is a disease state of social disconnection. Loneliness is a disease state of social disconnection. And what's the remedy? As you go through the Surgeon General's um, report, it's to facilitate communities and to facilitate people getting connected. And they identify the people who are at high risk, right? And clearly seniors are at risk, okay? Immigrants are at risk, okay? People who are different in any way, they are clearly at higher risk. And what's the remedy? Well, it's to facilitate community and to get community. And in fact, that is one of the big reasons people come to church, They come to church to find a community. They feel, and in immigrant communities especially, it's high, of, you know, I want to be with people who are kind of like me, who serve like me, who grew up like me, who did the same things. I am looking to scratch that loneliness itch. And that it's very real, and I don't want to diminish that, okay? And at least what they're identifying is, look, as far as dealing with this loneliness epidemic, we're dealing with people struggling with their feelings, We're dealing with struggling with people's social connection. And we're dealing with people's expectations and experiences. Okay. Okay. Where does this, where is this helpful? Well, it identifies the symptoms and the things that we're dealing with. Where does it fall short? Very simply, God isn't in the picture. And neither is your heart, neither is your spirit, neither is sin. And those are all players in the picture. And what we have typically, which is what we have with the world, their best effort, is we have what's called a disease model. And a disease model takes God completely out of the picture. It's not that some of those observations are valid, but, okay, God is taken completely out of the picture, and our loneliness is reduced to a physical and emotional and social problem so what do we do we fix the physical with drugs sometimes we fix the emotional with drugs and we fix the social with trying to fabricate or create communities right hillary clinton It takes a village to raise a child well it's not a wrong observation that we need help raising children right but those are the areas that we are sort of focusing Okay? And the truth is, if that's the direction we go, a disease model, all right, we will never find the remedy because at the heart of the disease is the human heart and the human soul and a relationship with God which is broken. Okay? Mm -hmm. So as we go to Scripture, and I'm just going to try and give you a big picture. Pray for me. I'm going to try and get this done in, in 10 minutes so we can go get our kids so they're not lonely. Okay. All right. So what we're dealing with loneliness, as the world describes it, is this feeling of alienation and disconnection. And by that standard, as they point out, people in marriage, you know, the remedy that people say is, oh, well, get married, have a family. And you say, okay, well, if it's about expectations and experiences and feelings, and my expectations of what I need to fit or be connected, I can be married, I can have a crowd of people, Doesn't matter, I can still be socially isolated, alone in a room with a bunch of people, right? And still having all those feelings and all those distresses that are there. Well, how does God look at it and how does He address it? And I raise that because many times in counseling and in Christian circles, they're using the same remedies. Why are you lonely? Okay, I I was given a list at one church of all the reasons why young men are still living at home, playing video games, this, that, and the other thing. I own my own home. I didn't play video games. And I basically served in church as much, much as I possibly could. And yet I found myself still feeling disconnected and lonely, right? And all those lists that Al Mohler put on a sheet, they didn't apply to me. And part of the exhortation is is if you just obeyed God and did what he said, right? And if we just repaired the family, you wouldn't be lonely. Some of that is rubbish, okay? Because where I'm going with this is the heart of the issue is our relationship with Christ, okay? And so as we go back to big picture God's word, we look and we begin looking not at ourselves, but we look at the Lord. And the Lord and the God of the Bible, who is different from Islam, who is different from every other religion, is the Trinity. And the Trinity is both alone, set apart, but never alone. Three persons, one God, perfect unity, perfect love, perfect fellowship, in need of absolutely nothing, but able to give and give and give and give and give give sacrificially because God is love, okay? And we have to understand that the world that God has created was meant to be alone and not alone. Alone, set apart for the Lord, okay? But not alone in perfect fellowship with the Lord and one another, connected. But connected in a unity that is Christ, a unity of God, and without God, there is not that unity. And what is it that damages that unity? It's sin. Okay? So when you go to Genesis in the big picture and you see Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Genesis 1, the Lord says, let us make man in our image. And then it goes on and says, and he created them male and female in his image. And it's so interesting as you look at the detail in creation in Genesis, okay, Genesis 1 gives you the big picture. Genesis 2 gives you the detail of creation. Big picture, male and female are created together in the image of God. Okay? That means Julie and I are different. We're complementary. And there are aspects that she is going to highlight more clearly of the image of God than I will. And I'm going to highlight certain aspects that she doesn't. But together... Adam and Eve were created to reflect the image of God, not individually. And by extension in the church, we were created and called and saved together to be the people of God together. We're each different, but we're meant to be united together in the love of Christ. We're not all meant to be the same. Now what happens? Genesis 2, God looks at man and man is created first to be the leader and the servant leader. And what does the Lord say about man after he's created him? It's not good for the man to be what? Alone, separated and isolated. But there's all these animals. He's not alone, right? There's trees, right? There's a lion, there's a horse, there's probably even a dog, man's best friend. It's not good for the man to be alone. Well, look, contextually, what's he saying? He goes on to say there's not a helper fit for him. So he creates the helper because God's blueprint is that the world would begin with a male and female and by extension through their family, by extension men and women together and together they are to represent the image and the likeness of their creator, a trinity who is alone but not alone, right? Okay, so God then creates a helper fit for him. And so we see this issue of loneliness is there's an issue of being disconnected from what you're supposed to be connected to, what God created you to be connected to, right? My relationship, if we had a pet dog, should be different from my relationship with Julie. My relationship with my kids should be different from my relationship with Julie, right? Because God has a blueprint of how we are to be connected to him and one another. And it's bound in his word. So how does that fall apart? Genesis 3. I got four minutes to finish this. Genesis chapter 3. Sin comes into the world. And what happens after Adam and Eve sin and chief among them, Eve is deceived, but Adam is the head of the home. What happens? First... They put fig leaves on or they put leaves on from the garden, right? To cover themselves before they were naked and they were not afraid. There was no division between them. Complete transparency, no worry about vulnerability. Nobody's going to rape me. Nobody's going to take advantage of me. Nobody's going to exploit me. I am totally connected to the Lord and I'm totally connected to my spouse. They disobey God's word and suddenly they're ashamed and they need to cover And they need to provide some sort of external protection and division between one another. And then when God shows up, what do they do? They hide. Because they are afraid. Ashamed and afraid. Okay? What are two aspects that we experience when we feel lonely? We feel ashamed and we feel afraid. Fair statement? Very real, okay? So as we come in and we see the consequence and the curse of sin is this separation from God and separation from one another? Because we've walked away from the God and the Word that holds us together. Right? We were created to be dependent on the Lord, dependent on his word. And his word was given as a protection. That's part of what we learned this morning to protect the love and the life that he's given. And when we walk away from that, we walk away from his protection and we walk away from his love and things fall apart and we become disconnected from what he created us to be connected to. He created us to be connected with him and he created us to be connected to one another. And when we go out on our own, and we decide to pursue our own way, that falls apart. That's true in our marriages, that's true in our parenting, that's true in our church, right? Okay, when my issues become more important than everybody else's issues, look out. And so the world, as Adam and Eve are sent out, now people are filled with a sense of shame and a sense of fear and a longing to be connected from what they're supposed to be connected with. That's the world as a whole. We are born that way. We have been born with Adam's sin and we come in with a propensity to be lonely and the only remedy for that is what brings us back into fellowship with the Lord and one another and addresses the issue of our sin. That's our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that's the gospel. Okay, does this mean if I'm lonely, I'm a sinner? Big picture, yes. Little picture, maybe not. The sin that makes us lonely, it can be my sin but it can be someone else's sin. So a child that is abused is gonna feel fear and shame they're going to feel disconnected from what they're supposed to be connected with, their family, other people, because of someone else's sin and what they did to them. Immigrants can come and they can feel disconnected, not based on anything that they have done per se in the bigger picture, but because of what we refer to as partiality or being treated poorly or being treated as other. There are certain people who are more at risk who God comes out and says, you need to watch out for these people because widows, orphans, and the fatherless and strangers among you, sojourners, they are at much higher risk for being isolated or neglected or separated from what they're supposed to be connected with. And God points out he is the defender and the caregiver of the lonely, of the orphan, the widow, and the stranger. And he says to Israel, you need to take care of them because this is the way I took care of you because I loved you and I came alongside. But what was the remedy? The remedy was the presence of God in their midst. So it's both. We have this propensity to be lonely because we are all born in sin and without Christ, but also Sometimes we have to say, like Job, is this Job's particular reason? Was it his particular sin? Now, as we walk through, can I have my next slide? This is the last one, and I'll try and tie up. As we consider these things, we've got to start first. Let's consider our heart and life. Are we alone with Jesus? That's one of the first things that we have to say. Are we alone with Jesus, or am I alone because of choices I have made? If you spend any time with me, you know one of the Proverbs I love is what, Mama? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Okay? And then my bookend is Proverbs 18, 1. He who isolates himself seeks his own what? desire okay so when we deal with this we first have to say what are my expectations and what are my desires and if i'm living for my expectations and my desires and not the lord's guess what i am going to be alone and i am going to be lonely the lord says that okay but there's another loneliness that comes as we look at our lord and savior as you look at Isaiah 53, you look at Psalm 25, Psalm 102, Romans 8, 2 Timothy. As we become connected with Christ and we become connected with his people, we become disconnected from the world, its expectations, its pressures, its people. And typically, as we walk through life and as we follow Christ, many of you in this church have gone through this experience. You, as you begin to grow in Christ and continue to serve him, you find that going home at Thanksgiving and going home at Christmas sometimes can be challenging because there are expectations that are being made that are not coming from God's word. There are pressures there, and there are also this overwhelming feeling of I, I, I feel different and I feel not connected. And yet this is my biological family. I should be connected. But then as we come to God's word, we see he's doing a work in our lives. And we see he's actually connecting us with our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, some of the other things that come into our lives too, that we talked about earlier is when trials come into our lives The propensity of our flesh is to feel disconnected. Why am I suffering this way? The whole book of Job is devoted to this. And it can be confusing until we come to God's word and we look at our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who was a man of what? Sorrows acquainted with grief. And on the cross he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he bears the sins and grief of the world. And those who walk with him are going to feel some disconnect and some alienation, and they're going to feel some grief. You think of parents whose children are not saved. You think of spouses whose, spouse, whose wife or husband is not saved. You think of times, all right, with people who we love dearly in our families who are going in a very different direction, and there's a heartbreak and a grief and a mourning and a disconnection of we should be together, but we're not. And as you come to Psalm 102, there's a few truths that he puts before us that help with this first point lament and prayer alone and with god's people over real isolation and suffering is a remedy from the lord when we experience loneliness and you look at psalm 102 god shows us that there is a place for us And there is a place to express that. But that place to express that is not to withdraw and be isolated and to become absorbed with it because that's the devil's candy. But instead, God beckons to those who are lonely to come to him and pour out their grief to him, but to do so with the people of God. That means we hear one another's sorrows as well. It's not, man, I don't want to hear a problem, dude. Last thing I want to deal with is a lonely person who's moaning and groaning. No, we're to gather together and we're to express it, but it's to be directed at the Lord. It's not to be self-absorbed. Okay. As you go through Psalm one through 11, this is what the psalmist demonstrates. He says, I've got a complaint, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and he pours out his complaint before the Lord. Brothers and sisters, it's not wrong to be grieved it's not wrong to come and say, I'm lonely in my marriage, or I'm lonely in my family, or I'm lonely in my workplace, or I'm even lonely in ministry. In fact, I've had a, a number of times, repeatedly, people will come and say, oh, I'm thinking of leaving the church, or I'm thinking of leaving this ministry. Why? Because it's not what it was before, because before it was like a family, but it doesn't feel that way. Now I don't feel loved. And I think, boy, if Jesus used that criteria, would he have stuck around? And so what the psalmist does is he walks us through and he starts us first by saying, look, first you've got to go to the Lord. But the second thing is you go and he details what it looks like and you read that. He goes and he begins to look and he says, I'm going to look at God's plan. And then as he looks at God's plan, he points out that God's timeline is really different from his timeline. He says God is sitting on the throne. He says that God has an eternal plan and it's good. Part of my struggle is, I feel this needs to get taken care of right away, right now. And I'm just suffering and I'm in pain. And so part of it, brothers and sisters, is beginning to see God's plan of salvation. And as you come to the end of the psalm, what's interesting is at the end of that psalm, where is the end of that psalm quoted? Matt, this is going to be taught at your wedding, so you should know. The book of Hebrews, okay? The book of Hebrews, Hebrews 1, 1 through 10, quotes the end of this psalm. And that's led many people to believe, as he quotes that, and you look at Hebrews, that the person who's saying some of this stuff, it's prophetic. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ pouring out his grief and his sorrow and his loneliness for being a servant of the Lord and feeling that isolation and sorrow for serving the Lord, that he's at odds and he's not connected because the world is a sinful place and it's a lonely place. And yet, as you walk through the psalm, you see, where does he find his hope? In the promises of God, God's eternal plan, And God's promise that he's going to make things right and he's going to take care of his servants. He's going to love them. And the psalm ends not with a resolution of the circumstance or the situation, but a psalmist, the human who first wrote it, growing and walking through a path and at the end of it coming to a place of hope and feeling connected and being connected in a way that he wasn't before, but connected first with God, and then second with people who hope in the Lord. All right, to be continued. Let me close our time in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have provided a place for the lonely in your church. We thank you that you love the lonely. And we thank you that in your hands, Loneliness is an instrument of redemption and sanctification that grows our appreciation of who you are and what you're doing and your salvation and your love and care for your people. It's a hard one, Lord, but we ask that you would help us to grow when you bring trials our way that make us feel lonely But we ask that we would be ultimately driven and that we would land not by our feelings or our expectations, but instead by your love for us. And would we be a church, O Lord, that is gracious and kind and good to the lonely because you are that God and you are our God. In your name I pray, amen.